Let us pray, Lord. Thank you for another Lord's Day opportunity to come to your house for worship. Bless the preparation and proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you today to turn with me to Psalm 130. Verse 1 begins, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. I want to preach today from the subject, Overcoming Adversity. Overcoming Adversity. Psalm 130 is in the family of 15 psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. The worshipers of Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem worshipers, were to travel up the mountain to the temple there in Jerusalem to worship. And as they went up, they would sing these psalms. In the words of these psalms, they found comfort during times when they were upset. They found encouragement when they were discouraged. They found help when they felt helpless or hindered. They found joy amid all of their sorrows and sufferings. And they found peace when the waters of adversity roared all around them. So the question is, how did they do it? How did they face the uncertainty of times? How did they face the troubled times? How did they face the turbulent days with confidence and courage and commitment? How did they manage the stress, the strains, the struggles of putting one foot in front of the other day after day? The writer of Psalm 130 shares several truths that enabled him as well as the people on their way to worship uh, to persevere through adversity. Let's look at it. The truth. First, the psalmist shares that he was able to persevere through adversity because of his prayer life. That sounds rather simple, but that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. He's saying that I was willing to uh, able to go through the things that I went through, persevere through the adversity, persevere through the troubled times because of my prayer life. The psalmist lets us know that as far as he was concerned. When suffering comes, there is no better thing to do than to give ourselves in prayer, especially to the type of prayer in which we settle down and listen to what God has to say to us. Notice the words of verses 1 and 2 in the text. The psalmist says, out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord. The psalmist is saying, out of the depth of my heart, out of my pain, out of my anguish, out of my uncertainty, I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplication. The psalmist cries out to God in desperation as though he has no one else to cry out to. In fact, there isn't. Some years ago, there was a popular movie entitled An Officer and a Gentleman. 
In the movie, Lou Gossett played a tough, a drill instructor at the, Naval, at the Navy's officer candidate school. Richard Gere played the role of an arrogant, defiant officer candidate. This young candidate allowed his arrogance and allowed his mouth to lead him into a hand-to-hand -hand combat fight with his top sergeant, a man who was skilled in, in battle, which this young recruit pitifully lost. When his sergeant demanded that this candidate pack his bags and leave the program, disenroll from the program, the candidate cried out, I have no place else to go. Sir, I have no place else to go. Well, the truth be told, that's the plight of the world in which we live today. In fact, it's always been that way. We've always needed God, yet the COVID-19 pandemic is convincing more and more people every day that humanity has no place else to go, nothing else to run to, and no one else to turn to but to God in prayer. The writer of Psalm 121 penned the words in verses 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from with cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. For you see, the key to swimming and not sinking, the key to standing and not falling, the key to winning and not losing, is staying in contact with our all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God through the means of prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to stay in touch with God through prayer. He taught them to pray in Matthew 6, 9-13. In the prayer, he taught them to honor God's name. Uh, he taught them to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus taught them to pray, to ask God to lead them not into the perils of temptation or to lead them away from temptation. Pray that the Father would keep them safe from the evil one, from the devil. And then to acknowledge through prayer that the power and the glory belong to God forever. Oh, thank God for powerful for precious, and for the priceless gift of prayer. We ought to thank God for the powerful, the, the precious, the, the priceless gift of prayer. Prayer is a gift to us from God. Prayer keeps us in constant communication with God. We, we talk to God in prayer, and God talks to us when we pray. We can... Thank God for our communication to communicate with him in prayer anytime, anywhere, and under all conditions. Hymn writer William W. Walford expresses his deep sentiment for the gift of prayer with the word, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bends me at my father's throne, makes all my wants and wishes known in seasons of distress and grief. My soul has often found relief and often escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer.
Second, the psalmist persevered through adversity because he knew God was a forgiving God. In verses 3 and 4, he says, With great confidence and conviction, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. As the psalmist honestly assessed his life, as he looked back over his life, perhaps as a a rambunctious young man, perhaps as a rebellious sinner before he came to know God, as he assessed his life, he would have come up with the same conclusion as we do when we honestly assess our lives. The conclusion is that some of the difficulties we've had to face come as a direct relationship or come as a direct result of our disobeying God. But here's the good news. While we must endure the consequences of our sin, when we confess our sins and when we turn away from our sins, God is faithful and just, Psalm 1 and 9, the first John 1 and 9, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then here's the good news, when he forgives us, when he cleanses us, he walks with us, through the problems and the pains associated with our sins. So if we're going to persevere through adversity, we've got to keep before us the truth that we are serving a forgiven God who does not hold our past sins against us and at the same time will not abandon us to the consequences of our past sins. Third, the psalmist persevered through adversity because he was willing to wait on God. Did you get that? He was able to go through everything that he had to go through as well as those who walked up the mountain to worship along with him. They were able to go through all that they had to go through because they were willing to wait on God. In verse 5, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Don't you just love that? He says, I wait for the Lord and my, my soul waits. Although the text does not reveal what the psalmist was going through, the text uh, does let us know that he was crying out to God in prayer that he was waiting on God's deliverance. So it is the psalmist is testifying to the reality that he has resolved within himself mentally and emotionally to wait on God. That, that's what he said. I've resolved in myself to mentally and emotionally wait on God. The world may scurry by. The world may be frantic and confused. But as for me, I'm going to wait emotionally and mentally. I'm going to wait on God. What's more important in the text, the psalmist reveals that he is his soul will wait on God as well. Notice in verse 5 and 6, he testifies, my soul waits for the Lord. 
The psalmist decided to wait on God no matter how long it took for God to come through on his behalf. And please know that waiting on God is not passive. But waiting on God really is active. Active in the sense that while we are waiting on God, God is working on us. Notice the words of James 1 and 4. But let patience, that's waiting, patience. Let, let patience, that's, that's waiting. James says, let patience have its perfect work so that you may be perfect. The word perfect in the text means that you may grow up, that you may come of age, that you will become seasoned and mature. And complete, James says, lacking nothing. When he's saying be complete, lacking nothing, he's saying not being shallow in thought or behavior. That's what, that's what James said. James says, waiting on God matures me. Waiting on God grows me up. Waiting on God even during difficult times seasons me. James would have us know that while we wait on God, God is working on us. While we wait on God, God burns the dross, the, the rubbish, the impurities from our lives. While we wait on God, even during challenging times, God is shaping us and making us and molding us and maturing us and deepening us in the faith and developing us in his way. You see, waiting on God, it's like being clay in the hands of the potter. We must remain pliable, flexible, bendable, and workable in the master's hand. Granted, waiting on God to deliver us, waiting on God to bring us through adversity, waiting on God to bring us through troubled times and turbulent waters, waiting on God to carry us through won't always be easy, enjoyable, comfortable, or convenient. But waiting on God, no matter how long it takes, will always bring glory and honor to God. And it will always bless his people. The psalmist is trying to help us to see that there is great value in settling down, in waiting on God, in being patient, in waiting on God. The psalmist would have us know that while we wait on God, God does a work in us, through us, and around us. Fourth, the psalmist persevered through adversity because of the hope he had in God's word. And that's what the psalmist would have us know. He would have us know if we're going to make it through adversity, if we're going to toughen up, if we're going to grow up, we must have confidence. We must have faith. We must have trust. We must have hope in God's word. 
See, as we look at verse 5b, the psalmist says, And in his word, I hope. Don't you love that? He didn't say in the strategy of man or woman, I hope. Not in the hierarchical arrangement of the religious structure, I hope, but I hope in God. When him writer said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock. I stand, watch this, all other ground, no matter what it is, all other ground is sinking sand. If our hope is in anyone or anything else other than Jesus, it's sinking sand. So the psalmist says, in his word, I hope. By the psalmist's own pen, he publicly, unashamedly, unbridledly professes, pronounces his hope in the word of God. I submit to you today, my good hopians and those who are listening to us, wherever you may be, I submit to you today that in order to successfully journey through the twists and turns, the ups and downs, the mountains and the valleys, the ebbs and flows of this life, we must have a ceaseless hope in God's word. Footnote. In order to hope in God's word, we must know God. I'm so excited about the good hopings now. Read it through the one year Bible every day and meet it in your groups because you are learning God's word. You are reading God's word. You are studying God's word and therefore you can hope in God's word. In order to hope in God's word, you must know God's word for yourself. I mean, listening to sermons, great, and listening to podcasts, great, and, and listening to others talk is great, but you need to read and know God's word for yourself because it will come a time when you will need the word of God. In order to hope in his word, we must know his word and when we know God's word, we can hope in his word. When our hope is in the word of God, we see life circumstances and situations from a whole different vantage point. I'm, I hope that those of you who have been reading your Bible, you've been able to see life from a different vantage point because now you are reading his word and hoping in his word. You see, in fact, our hope in the word of God will never will be a hope in the word of God will change our thinking. In fact, it would even change our prayers. 
Why? Because when we know God's word and hope in God's word, we can intelligently pray God's will. You see, 1 John 5, 14 states, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask for. So here's an example. In the book of Moses, in the book of Exodus, God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. The Pharaoh refused to obey God, so God sent a plague of waters becoming blood to help Pharaoh understand that God was God, the great I am, to help Pharaoh understand that God was God and Pharaoh was not. Pharaoh refused to obey, so God sent the second plague of frogs. Pharaoh refused to uh, get the point, so God sent the third plague of lice. After the lice, the flies, and then diseased livestock, and then the plague of a pandemic of the boils, and then the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and then finally the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. Now beginning in chapter 5 all the way through chapter 14, the people of God face serious adversity. But have you ever stopped to think that Moses nor the people prayed asking God to stop doing what he was doing. Can you imagine how foolish it would have been for Moses or the people to plead with God to call his plan off? That would have been what James referred to in James 4 and 3 as praying amiss, praying inappropriately, or praying out of God's will. No, they did not pray such prayers. Why? Because they knew the word of God. They knew and they trusted. They hoped in the word of God recorded in Exodus 3, 16b and 17. Listen at the hope from the word of God. The word of God says, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. That's the word, y'all. They knew the word. And I have said, I will bring you up out to out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. They knew the word. And so the people of God persevered through adversity because their hope was in God's word. They knew based on his word that God was up to something great. They knew based on that word that God was going to free them from the wicked rule of Pharaoh. They knew based on his word that God would release them from the oppression of Egyptian bondage. They knew based upon his word that God would fulfill the destiny of his people in a land flowing with milk and honey. They didn't know how long God's plan would take. But they knew that had God stopped the process too soon, had God lifted the pressure too quickly, had God dismissed the procedure prematurely, 
Pharaoh would have still been king. They would have still been slaves and their destinies would have been derailed. How did they know? Because they knew the word. So here we are in 2020. Living in unprecedented times. Facing unparalleled adversity. The COVID-19 pandemic is out of control. The world, that is people who don't know Jesus, people who have never received Christ as Lord and Savior. The world, people who have trusted in their positions, people who have trusted in their wealth, people who have trusted in their fame are all baffled. Why? Because Humpty Dumpty has fallen off the wall. And to the horror and dismay of many, all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot, no matter how hard they try, no matter how hard they strategize, no matter how hard they plan, cannot put Humpty together again. But no worries. That is, if you are a Christ follower. No worries, that is, if you no Jesus for yourself. No worries because Jesus Christ, our King, who suffered and bled and died on Calvary's cross and rose from the grave with all power, will help us through the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm assured of it. The Word says that He will. The Word says that He will take care of his own. God, we serve, raise Jesus from the grave with all power in his hand will help us through the COVID-19 pandemic and every other adversity we face along the way. But we've got to hope in his word that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. His word says, fear not, for I am with you, with you be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Him right eyes and watch reminds us of the help and hope we have in God. With these words I'll close. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home before the hills in order stood on earth received her frame from everlasting to everlasting thou art God age to age the same keep your hand in God's unchanging hand and persevere through adversity if you never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior we invite you to do that right now you may pray Father I confess my sins and I will ask Jesus to come into my life and save now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and grant you his peace in Jesus' name.